0: Section twenty of Vice Versa by F. Anstey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vice Versa by F. Anstey, Chapter eighteen, Run to Earth. There is noon in this house, sculled bind me this night, the Coke's tale of Gamlin. Dick burst open the door of the billiard-room rather suddenly and then stood holding on to the handle and smiling down upon his relative in a happy and affectionate but rather weak manner so here you are he said been looking for you everywhere what's good of shutting self in here come up and play games no come in and have supper i've had supper So I perceived, observed Uncle Marmaduke, and the fact was certainly obvious enough. Tell you what I did, giggled the wretched dick. You know, I never did get what I call regular good blowout. Always someone to say had quite enough for I began. So I thought this time I would have a tuck in till... Till I felt tired as I, <laughs> I got down for anybody else to help myself. I'd first go it <laughs> no one to help the things, no girls to bother, it was prime. When they've all gone up again, you and will go in and have some more, eh? You're a model host said his uncle "It's a good supper Dick went on. I ought to know I've had some of everything It's almost too good for kids but it's a good thing I went in first after I'd been in a little time I saw his buns cake on the table and when I tried it what do you think I found it was as full inside of brandy and sherry as it could be. All it could do to stand. I saw directly it wasn't in condition to come to table and I said, Take it away, take it away. It's drunk. It's a disgraceful sight for children. But they wouldn't take it away, so I had to take it away. But you can't take away a whole chipsy cake. I'm quite sure you did your best, murmured Paradine. Been having some games upstairs, said Dick with another giggle. That jolly Meredith is a jolly girl. Not so nice as Dolky, though. Hear you... Let's go up a little fireworks on Balcony, eh? Let's have Jolly Lark. No, no, said his uncle. You and I are too old for that sort of thing. You should leave the larks to the young fellows. How do you know I'm too old for sort of thing? Said Dick with an offended air. Well, you're not a young man any longer, you know. You ought to behave like the steady old buffer, you look. Why? demanded Dick. Why should I behave like steady old buffer when I don't feel like steady old buffer? (laughs) What do you want spoiled fun for? Tell you I shall do just exactly like And if you say any more, I'll... Rodge your head No, no, said his uncle, slightly alarmed at this intimation. Come, you're not going to quarrel with me, I'm sure. All right, said Dick. No I won't quarrel. So was uh quarrel anybody. That's right, said Paradine. I knew you were a noble fellow. So I am, said Dick, shaking hands with effusion. So you are, really as noble as me. There, you're a jolly good fellow. I say, I've good right to tell you something. May you laugh, but I won't. Not now. Oh, you can tell me, said Marmaduke. No secrets between friends, you know. Shall I'll tell you now,' said Dick. "'Keep secret little logger.' "'Do you know, my friend, that there's something very odd about you I've noticed lately? "'Something that makes me almost fancy sometimes. "'You're not what you pretend to be.' "'Dick sat down heavily on one of the leather benches placed against the wall. "'Eh? What'd you say?' he gasped. Share that again you look to me said marmaduke slowly like someone excellently made up for the part of heavy father without a notion of how to play it dick you young dog you see i know you you can't take me in with all this you'd better tell me all about it dick seemed almost sobered by this shock you've found me out he repeated dully then it's all up if you found me out everybody else can find me out no no it's not so bad as that my boy i've better eyes than most people and then i had the privilege of knowing your excellent father rather well once upon a time you haven't studied his little peculiarities closely enough but you'll improve by the way where is your excellent father all this time he's all right said dick beginning to chuckle (laughs) he's at school he is at school you mean to say you've put him at school at his time of life he's rather old for that sort of thing isn't he they don't take him on the ordinary terms do they (laughs) ah said dick "'That's where he is. He isn't old, you see, now, to look at.' "'Not old to look at? Then how on a th- I should like to know how you managed all that. "'What have you been doing to the poor gentleman?' "'That's my affair,' said Dick. "'And if I don't tell you, you won't find that out anyway.' There's only one way you could have done it, said Paradine, pretending to hesitate. It must have been done by some meddling with magic. Now what? Let me see. Yes! Surely the stone I brought your poor mother from India was given to me as a talisman of some sort. You can't have been sharp enough to get hold of that. How did you know? cried Dick sharply. Who told you? I'm right, then. Well, you are a clever fellow. I should like to know how you did it now. Did it with the stone, said Dick, evidently discomposed by so unexpected penetration, but unable to prevent a little natural complacency. Oh, my own idea. No one help me. It, it... Was it so bad for me, was it? Bad? It was capital, cried Marmaduke enthusiastically. It was a stroke of genius, and so my Indian stone has done all this for you. Sounds like an Arabian night by Jove. By the by, you don't happen to have it about you, do you? I should rather like to look at it again. It's a real curiosity after this. Paul trembled with anxiety. Would Dick be induced to part with it? If so, he was saved. But Dick looked at his uncle's outstretched hand and wagged his head with tipsy cunning. "'I dare say you would,' he said. "'But I'm not so greed as all that. Don't let that stone out of my hands for anyone.' "'Why, I only wanted to look at it for a minute or two,' said Marmaduke. "'I wouldn't hurt it or lose it.' "'You won't get just," said Dick. "'Oh, very well,' said Paradine carelessly. "'Just as you please. It doesn't matter. Though when we come to talk things over a little, you may find it better to trust me more than that.' "'What do you mean?' said Dick uneasily. "'Well, I'll try to explain as well as I can, my boy. Drink a little of this soda-water first. It's an excellent thing after supper. There. You're better now, aren't you? Now, I found you out, as you see, but only because I knew something of the powers of this stone of yours, and guessed the rest. It doesn't at all follow that other people who know nothing at all will be as sharp.' if you're more careful about your behaviour in future, unless—unless, young fellow—' And here he paused meaningly. "'Unless what?' asked Dick suspiciously. "'Unless I choose to tell them what I found out.' "'What would you tell them?' said Dick. "'What? Why, what I know of this talisman. Tell them to use their eyes they wouldn't be very long before they found out that something was wrong and when one or two of your father's friends once get hold of the idea your game will be very soon over you know that as well as i do but stammered dick you wouldn't go and do beastly mean things like that i've not been bad fellow to you the meanness my dear boy depends entirely upon the view and take of it the question with me, as a man of honour—and I may tell you an over sense of honour has been a drawback I've had to struggle against all my life—the question with me is this—is it not my plain duty to step in and put a stop to this topsy-turvy state of things, to show you up as the bare-faced young impostor you are, and restore my unhappy brother-in-law to his proper position? Very well expressed," thought Paul, who had been getting uncomfortable. He has a heart, as he said after all. How does that seem to strike you?" added Paradine. It strikes me as awful rot," said Dick, with refreshing candour. It's the language of conscience, but I don't expect you to see it in the same light. I don't mind confessing to you, either, that I'm a poor devil to whom money and a safe and respectable position, all of which I have here, are great considerations, but whenever I see the finger of duty and honour and family affection all beckoning me along a particular road, I make a point of obeying their munitions occasionally. I don't mean to say that I never have bottled down a back way instead, when it was made worth my while, or that I never will. I wonder what he's driving at now, thought Paul. I don't know about duty and honour and all that, said Dick. My head aches. It's the noise they're making upstairs. Are you going to tell? The fact is, my dear boy, that... When one has had a keen sense of honor in constant use for several years, it's like most other articles apt to become a little worse for wear. Mine is not what it used to be, Dickie. That's your name, isn't it? Our powers fail as we grow old. I don't know what you're talking about, said Dick helplessly. Do tell me what you mean to do. "'Well, then, your head is clear enough to understand this, I hope,' said Paradine impatiently, "'that if I did my duty and exposed you, you wouldn't be able to keep up the farce for a single hour, in spite of all your personal advantages. You know that, don't you?' "'I suppose I know that,' said Dick feebly. You know, too, that if I could be induced—mind, I don't say I can—to hold my tongue and stay on here and look after you and keep you from betraying yourself by any more of these schoolboy follies, there's not much fear that anyone else will ever find out the secret." "'Which are you going to do, then?' said Dick. "'Suppose I say that—' I like you, that you have shown me more kindness in a single week than ever your respectable father has since I first made his acquaintance. Suppose I say that I am willing to let the sense of honour and duty and all the rest of it go overboard together, that we two together are a match for papa, wherever he may be, and whatever he chooses to say and do there was a veiled defiance in his voice that seemed meant for more than dick and alarmed mr bultitude however he tried to calm his uneasiness and persuade himself that it was part of the plan will you say that cried dick excitedly on one condition which i'll tell you by and by yes i'll stand by you my boy I'll coach you till I make you a man of business every bit as good as your father, and a much better man of the world. I'll show you how to realize a colossal fortune, if you only take my advice, and we'll pack Papa off to some place abroad, where he'll have no holidays and give no trouble." No, said Dick firmly, I won't have that. After all, he's my governor. Do what you like with him, then. He can't do much harm. I tell you, I'll do all this on one condition. It's a very simple one. What is it? asked Dick. This. You have, somewhere or other, the stone that has done all this for you. You may have it about you at this very moment. eh? as Dick made a sudden movement towards his white waistcoat. I thought so. Well, I want that stone. You were afraid to leave it in my hands for a minute or two just now. You must trust me with it altogether." Paul was relieved, of course. This was merely an artifice to recover the Garuda Stone, and Marmaduke was not playing him false after all. He waited breathlessly for Dick's answer. No, said Dick. I can't do that. I want it too. Why, man, what use is it to you? It only gives you one wish. You can't use it again." Dick mumbled something about his being ill, and Barbara wishing him well again. "'I suppose I can do that as well as Barbara,' said his uncle. "'Come, don't be obstinate. Give me the stone. It's very important that it should be in safe hands.' "'No,' said Dick, obstinately. He was fumbling all the time irresolutely in his pockets. I mean to keep it myself. Very well, then. I have done with you. Tomorrow morning I shall step up to Mincing Lane, and then to your father's solicitor. I think his offices are in Bedford Row, but I can easily find out at your father's place. After that, young man, you'll have a very short time to amuse yourself in, so make the best of it. No, don't leave me let me alone for a minute pleaded dick still fumbling at this a sudden suspicion of his brother-in-law's moves for wishing to get the stone into his own hands overcame all paul's prudence if he was so clever in deceiving dick might he not be cheating him too just as completely he could wait no longer but burst from behind the screen and rushed in between the pair go back screamed paradin you infernal old idiot you've ruined everything i won't go back said paul i don't believe in you i'll hide no longer dick i forbid you to trust that man dick had risen in horror at the sudden apparition and staggered back against the wall where he stood staring stupidly at his unfortunate father with fixed and vacant eyes badly as you've treated me I'd rather trust you than that shifty, plausible fellow there. Just look at me, Dick, and then say if you can let this cruelty go on. If you knew all I've suffered since I have been among those infernal boys, you would pity me. You would indeed. If you send me back there again, it will kill me. You know as well as I do that it is worse for me than ever it could be for you you can't really justify yourself because of a thoughtless wish of mine spoken without the least intention of being taken at my word dick i may not have shown as much affection for you as i might have done but i don't think i deserve all this be generous with me now and i swear you will never regret it dick's lips moved there really was something like pity and repentance in his face Muddled and dazed, as his general expression was, by his recent overindulgence, but he said nothing. "'Give Papa the stone by all means,' sneered Paradine. "'If you do, he will find someone to wish the pair of you back again, and then back you go to school again, the laughing-stock of everybody, you silly young cub! Don't listen to him, Dick,' urged Paul. "'Give it to me, for heaven's sake, if you let him have it!' He'll use it to ruin us all. But Dick turned his white face to the rival claimants, and said, getting the words out with difficulty, Papa, I'm sorry. It is a shame. If I had the stone, I really would give it you, upon my word and honour. I would. But, but now I can't ever... Give it up to you is gone lost, lost, cried Marmaduke, when where, when did you last recollect seeing it? You must know It's the morning, said Dick, twirling his chain, where a part of the cheap gilt fastening still hung. no afternoon, I don't know, he added helplessly. Paul sank down on a chair with a heartbroken groan. A moment ago, he had felt himself very near his goal. He had regained something of his old influence over Dick. He had actually managed to touch his heart, and now it was all in vain. Paradine's jaw fell. He too had had his dreams of doing wonderful things with the talisman, after he had cajoled Dick to part with it. Whether the restoration of his brother-in-law formed any part of his program, it is better perhaps not to inquire. His dreams were scattered now. The stone might be anywhere. Buried in London mud, lying on railway ballast, or ground to powder by cartwheels, there was little chance indeed that even the most liberal rewards would lead to discovery. He swore long and comprehensively. As for Mr. Bultitude, he sat motionless in his chair, staring in dull, speechless reproach at the conscience-stricken Dick, who stood in the corner blinking and whimpering with an abject penitence, odd and painful to see in one of his portly form. The children had now apparently finished supper, for there were sounds above as of dancing, and Sir Roger de Coverley, with its rollicking, never-wearying repetition, was distinctly audible above the din and laughter. Once before, a week ago, that very day, had that heartless piano mocked him with its untimely gaiety. But things were not at their worst even yet, for while they sat like this, there was a sharp, short peal at the house-bell, followed by loud and rather angry knocking, The carriages being no longer expected. The servants and waiters had now closed the front door, and left the passage for the supper room. "'The visitor's bell!' cried Paul, roused from his apathy, and he rushed to the window which commanded a side view of the portico. It might be only a servant calling for one of the children, but he feared the worst, and could not rest till he knew it. It was a rash thing to do as he drew the blind, he saw a large person in a heavy Inverness cloak standing on the steps. And, which was worse, the person both saw and recognized him with fascinated horror. Mr. Bultitude saw the doctor's small gray eyes fixed angrily on him, and knew that he was hunted down at last. He turned to the other two with a sort of ghastly composure, "'It's all over now,' he said. "'I've just seen Dr. Grimstone standing on my doorstep. "'He has come after me!' "'Uncle Marmaduke gave a malicious little laugh. "'I'm sorry for you, my friend,' he said. "'But I really can't help it.' "'You can,' said Paul. "'You can tell him what you know. "'You can save me.' "'Very poor economy, that,' said Marmaduke airily. "'I prefer spending to saving, always did. "'I have my own interests to consider, my dear Paul.' "'Dick,' said poor Mr. Bultitude, disgusted at this exhibition of selfishness, "'you said you were sorry just now. "'Will you tell him the truth?' "'But Dick was quite unnerved. "'He cowered away, almost crying. A "Dead! I dared!' he stammered i-i can't go back to the fellows like this i'm afraid to tell him i-i want to hide somewhere and certainly he was in no condition to convince any angry schoolmaster of anything whatever except that he was in a state very unbecoming for a head of the family it was all over paul saw that too well he dashed frantically from the fatal billiard-room and in the hall met Bola, preparing to admit the visitor don't open the door he screamed keep him out you mustn't let him in it's dr grimstone bowler surprised as he naturally was at his young master's unaccountable appearance and evident panic nevertheless never moved a muscle of his face He was one of those perfectly bred servants who, if they chanced to open the door to a ghoul or a skeleton, would merely inquire, "'What name, if you please?' "'I must go and ask your pa then, Master Dick. There's time to get upstairs while I'm gone. I won't say nothing,' he added compassionately. Paul lost no time in following this suggestion, but rushed upstairs, two or three at a time, stumbling at every flight with an invisible nightmare feeling that some invisible thing behind was trying to trip up his heels he rushed blindly past the conservatory which was lit up by chinese lanterns and crowded with little kate greenaway maidens crowned with fantastic head-dresses out of the crackers and comparing presents with boy lovers he upset perspiring waiters with glasses and trays, and scattered the children sitting on the stairs as he bounded on in his reckless flight, leaving crashes of glass behind him. He had no clear idea of what he meant to do. He thought of barricading himself in his bedroom and hiding in the wardrobe. He had desperate notions of getting under the house-top by means of a stepladder, and the skylight above the nursery landing. On one point he was resolved he would not be taken alive. Never before in this commonplace London world of ours was an unfortunate householder hunted up his own staircase in this distressing manner. Even his terror did not blind him to the extreme ignominy and injustice of his position. And below he heard the bell ringing more and more impatiently as the doctor still remained on the wrong side of the door. In another minute he must be admitted, and then who will not sympathize with Mr. Bultitude as he approaches the crisis of his misfortunes? I protest for my own part that, as I am compelled to describe him springing from step to step in wild terror like a highly respectable chamois before some Alpine marksman, my own heart bleeds for him and I hasten to end my distressing tale, and make the rest of it as little painful as I may with honesty. End of chapter 18